0: Hello there. Welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week as Pastor Scott Smith continues his sermon series, Christ Esteem, with a message entitled, Turn Your Weakness Into Strength. We hope this is a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Amen. Turn to your Bibles, if you will. To 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and listen, as Jagger said earlier, um, you know, if praising the Lord uh, doesn't like that, doesn't get your energy your reverberated. Is that the word he used? Reverberated? I think so. Revived? Renewed, right? Amen. Um, then then your reverberator is messed up. Okay? And we need help with our reverberator. So. Well, listen. This morning we are continuing in a series uh, that we began several weeks ago, entitled "Christ Esteem," and we are talking about uh, that we do not we, we are we should not get our worth, our value, our esteem from self. Um, self is lacking. We just sang about that, right? I love the, that first, um, core, uh, verse of Jesus paid it all talked about our weakness, uh, and, and how, and our need for Christ. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. Before we get into that, we've got one thing to do, and that is we're, we've got a memory verse that we're learning, a uh, verse we're learning with this series. And it is, anybody remember the reference? Galatians. Galatians. 2.20, that's right, that's right, go ahead and put it on the screen if you will, Galatians 2.20, and you can say it with me, I'm going to give you this week also, and then next week we're going to maybe start pulling some, we'll give you some blanks to fill in, all right? Here we go, Galatians 2.20, say it with me, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, that's right, who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20, amen. What a great verse, amen? What a great verse. Um, I love that verse, it's kind of my life verse, and um, uh, I hope you will love it or learn to love it as much as I do if you haven't already. Well, this morning, I want, to, uh, I want to start out by doing something a little bit different, and I want you to, um, I want to ask you to think about something for a minute, okay? I want to ask you to think about, think of something that you consider a weakness in your life, okay? I want you to think about anything, whatever comes to your mind. When I say, what is a weakness in your life, boom, what is it that comes to your mind? This is a rhetorical question, so keep it to yourself, um, and maybe afterwards you know you don't have to share i'm not asking you that and maybe some of you're saying pastor weakness it's weakness says that's kind of all of us amen but I want you to think of uh, something that you consider a weakness um, it's going to be something different for you. maybe it's shyness maybe it's a fear of of people or public speaking or maybe you can maybe it's some physical ailment or some maybe some addiction something that hinders you something in which you wish you were stronger better, smarter at some area in which you struggle. Found a quote this week. Uh, How many of you remember? I know you do. You remember Madonna? You say, Pastor, I'd rather not. Okay, but um, nevertheless, um, I don't know. Madonna's like 60-something years old now. Okay? Um, Anyway, Madonna said this years ago in Vanity Fair magazine. I thought this was telling. She said, all of my will, all of my will, has always, sorry, that's a little bit of my Southern twang coming out. I didn't mean to will. I didn't mean to kind of draw that out. All of my will has always been to conquer this horrible feeling of inadequacy or weakness that I have in my life. Madonna saying that. She says, I'm always struggling with that fear. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. To which I would say, if you become somebody, do you still have to prove that you're somebody? That's kind of a question in there, but nevertheless, here's what she says. She says, my struggle has never ended and it probably never will. To that, we all probably can say, amen, amen. Even famous people have struggles and weaknesses, so, what is your weakness? I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to get your weakness, that weakness in your mind, and then I want to ask you a question. How do you feel about that weakness? How do you feel about that weakness or those weaknesses? You say, Well, well, Pastor, um, I hate them. Amen. I'm with you. Pastor, I wish they weren't there. I wish I could get rid of them. I wish I could eliminate my weaknesses and all I had were strengths. Of course you do, amen? Don't we all? Um, so what do we do about it? What do we do in our normal life? We work on them, right? We work on them. We try to get better at our weaknesses. We try to fix them. We try to overcome them. We try to compensate for them. We, we get glasses. We go to therapy, We, we, we try some new procedure or technology. We read self-help books. We, we give more effort. And then often as a very last resort, what do we do? We pray about it. That's right. Who said that we pray about it, right? We pray about it. Finally, we try it all we can try, and then we, then we pray about it. And sometimes we pray about it, and even we beg God to remove that weakness in our lives. God, help me to do better in this. Help me to get over this. Help this to not be such a hindrance to me, God. Help me, help me, help me. And guess what? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He prayed. He Apostle Paul talks about in our text today a weakness that he had. And he says he begged God. To remove it from him. The question is, before I get too far into that yet, the question is, what are we to do when, when we realize that the weakness is not going away? What are we to do when we realize that it, that, that weakness is just going to be a part of our life, that we've just got to deal with it? How do we, how do we handle that? How do we process that? How do we, how do we deal with that information? Well, Let's see how the Apostle Paul processed it. Amen? I think he has something worthy to say to us this morning. Uh, if you got your outline this morning, I hope you will when you come in to pick up an outline on one of the tables out there. Um, number one, uh, first of all, friends, we need to understand something. Here's what we need to understand when we think about our weaknesses and we think about how I'm going to deal with this weakness and I prayed and I've tried to get rid of it and I can't. And this weakness is just, it's hindering me in my life. Friends, here's what we need to realize. And that is that sometimes God allows us and he allows certain weaknesses to remain in our lives. Sometimes God just allows them to remain in our lives. Um, In other words, friends, God is not always going to remove the weakness. God's not always going to heal the weakness. Now, sometimes he does, right? Sometimes God heals us. Sometimes God allows us to to learn more or to become more educated or to to go to the doctor and the doctor to fix something physical in our lives. But how many of you, listen, I think the thing is as we get older, I think part of the learning process of getting older is learning that everything in our bodies that goes wrong and in our lives can't be fixed, Amen? amen, here on this earth. It can't. And so I believe there are some things I've had to as physical things. I've had certain physical things in my life that I've tried. Every doctor I know how, I've tried some doctors for, multi, for long periods of time, and they just aren't able to fix it. And finally, you know what I have learned? I've just got to live with it. But how do we do that? How do we just live with it? We need to realize that sometimes, and, and listen, we can pray for healing, amen, and we should. Um, we can seek medical help. We can go to therapy and, and, and we can do all those things diligently. We can even ask others to pray. And listen, we should. We should do all those things. It's nothing wrong with any of that to try to overcome those weaknesses or to, 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 to fix those weaknesses in our lives. But sometimes, sometimes we just need to realize that it's not going to happen. Sometimes we just need to realize that God allows certain weaknesses to remain in our life. In other words, friends, contrary to what some prosperity preachers will tell you, God's not always going to heal you here on this earth. He's just not. And guess what? He never promised us that he would. I want us to consider our passage for today. We're in... For 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to give you a little bit of the context. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, a church that um, he was instrumental in starting. And he's writing to this church who, the Corinthian church was a troubled church. Uh, Some people say, well, we just want to be New Testament Christians. (laughs) Be careful what kind of New Testament Christians you want to be. Okay. Because the the Corinthian church struggled. They were a church that in that city where there was a lot of worldliness. And unfortunately, because of that, a lot of worldliness came into the, the church and they were struggling to get rid of some of that. And so a lot of what Paul addresses to the Corinthians in his letters are in trying to correct their worldliness that they were still hanging on to. But one of the things that crept into the church along with that were false teachers. Paul had started the church, and as we know, Paul didn't stay with the church forever. He would move on, right? Sometimes he would send back others to check on them and so forth. But somewhere along the line, there were some false teachers, probably Judaizers, those who taught that you not only saved by grace, but you have, to, you have to also keep the law and keep Old Testament customs, customs of those times. We don't know exactly, but false teachers who came in and were, were trying to lead the church astray away from the purity of the gospel. And in order to do this, they were putting down Paul. They were condemning his, uh, uh, say, condemning his apostleship, saying, you know what? Okay, so Paul came, but we now have knowledge that Paul didn't have. We now are able to, to tell you things that Paul was not able to. And so they were putting down Paul and they were saying, you know, Paul, he's not very, uh, he doesn't speak very well. I, you know, we don't know a whole lot about Paul's physical parents, but we can gather glimpses here and there. And, you know, I was talking with my wife and, you know, Paul from all evidence that we have was, was not a, how do I say this? Um, was not a physically appealing man. Okay. Um, the way I picture Paul, and I don't know, maybe maybe this is wrong, but I picture Paul as kind of a, a, a an old bald accountant. Okay, you know, um, the scripture even says Paul says himself that he was not eloquent, that he didn't speak well. You know, many co- commentators believe that maybe Paul had a stutter. Think about that. Okay, so the picture we could, what Paul could have looked like, could have been Elmer Fudd. Okay. <laughs> Um, now, listen, I, 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 sorry, I, I, you know, I don't know, no offense to Paul, but but Paul himself says, yeah, I know, I, I'm, I'm not well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these guys who speaks well, I'm not a great orator, any of that, um, but what I've come to tell you is the truth. And so what these other false apostles did, false teachers did, was they claimed to be apostles, they claimed even to be super apostles, And so they put down Paul and they put down his apostleship and they tried to tell the Corinthians not to listen to him and to listen to them instead. And so Paul was forced into doing something that he didn't like to do. He was forced into um, bragging, if you will, on what God had done in his life. Paul had to defend himself and his apostolic authority because he didn't want the Corinthians to follow the false teachers because he's the one who's telling them the truth. They're teaching them false teaching and lies, and he wanted they needed to follow Paul. So Paul, who didn't like to talk about himself because he didn't want to seem like he was bragging, had to then begin to defend his apostleship so that they would listen to him and not the false teachers. And he did this in a couple different ways. So he reluctantly, a couple chapters before this, began talking about Um, the authority that God had given to him. And we see right before this, how he talked about that God had given him visions and revelations um, multiple times. We know Paul was saved with a revelation, a vision from the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, right? And so Paul was was blessed with being able to have some special visions and revelations from the Lord. Paul also had been through a a lot for the Lord. He He shared with him all the ways that he had suffered for for Christ. And he says, why in the world would I do this if if it was not because I had been called to the gospel? I had a great life before, and now I'm suffering all these things for God. And I'm doing it for you. Now, with all the things that Paul um, had done for Christ... You know, he'd been all throughout Asia Minor, and he'd planted lots of churches. He'd received visions from the Lord. It would have been very easy for Paul to become puffed up, to become arrogant in his spirituality. Did you know it's even possible for, for us or for people to become arrogant in their godliness? Uh, you've known people like this, right? Uh, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm more, you know what, um, you need to listen to me because I am more godly than you. I am more Christ-like than you think about that for a minute. That's not very Christ-like, is it? (laughs) It's not in and of itself. So the reality, when when we are even tempted oftentimes in becoming like Christ that in pride. And so we need to be careful about that. But the problem is Paul recognized that. Paul recognized the temptation that was there because God had used him so much. And he had to, if you read through these last couple of chapters, I would encourage you to do that um, sometime this week. Paul um, is is oftentimes saying, listen, I don't want to brag, but I'm going to have to because of these other guys. I've got to defend my apostleship. I've got to defend so you'll listen to me and not them. But he recognized the danger in that. He recognized the danger of himself being puffed up. And so here in our text this morning in chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says this. He talks about something that... That, that, that God did that was done in his life in order to keep him from being puffed up. He says this in verse seven, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. So unless I get too puffed up, unless I get proud, too proud because of what, excuse me, God has done in my life because of um, the way God has used me, he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So in order that Paul wouldn't get puffed up, wouldn't get, become arrogant, he was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, when we think about that, if you're given a thorn in the flesh, I don't know that that analogy needs a lot of explanation, right? Um, we, you know, Paul is talking about something that was, that was in his life that was like a thorn. That, you know, have you ever been pricked by briars? You know, have you ever gone maybe to clip a bush and you go to grab it and you didn't realize it was a briar bush and you're, ah, Right? Or trying to get through the woods and, and get caught by some briars or something. Or, or get, a, get a splinter in your finger or under your nail, right? Um, there is nothing more painful. You would think, man, it's just that little bitty thing and it's just it's so painful, right? So Paul here says, lest I should be exalted above measure, a thorn in the flesh. Something was given to me to keep me from being exalted, Now, we don't know exactly what this was. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. But what we do know is that it was given to him to humble him. Look what else he says about it. He says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. The word buffet means to beat or to strike. So whatever this was, Paul, uh, Paul considered it that it just beat him up. He's using that terminology. I don't think he's talking about physically being beat up, but I think he's talking about it's just, you know, this, whatever this thorn in the flesh is, it is just tearing him up. It's, it, it, it's giving him a um, uh, uh, difficult time. Now, he calls this a messenger of Satan. Now, does Paul mean this literally? The word messenger is the Greek word angelos, uh, which means can can mean a literal angel. So is he talking literally about an angel of Satan or what we would call a demon? Well, or is he saying is he saying uh, just that 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 this this thorn in the flesh was a tool that Satan was using to buffet him to beat him up with? I don't know that we can say for sure. Here's what we can say and what Paul does mean is that say, he knows Satan was behind it. Uh, It's a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And evidently, Paul also considered, and we'll come back to this in just a little bit, also considered God to be behind it. Now, something that's been debated almost as long as this text has been written is what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? How many ever kind of wondered that before? You ever wondered what, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? What was this that, that he says was a messenger of Satan that, that, that just beat him up and that caused him trouble and difficulty? Was it something physical? A lot of commentators believe it was something physical. Some believe it was his eyesight, that Paul hated the fact that he couldn't see well. In and, and, and one of the other letters it talks about that he says, see what, with what large letters I write. We assume that was because his eyesight was getting bad. Um, so, some think it was maybe eyesight. Some would say, other, maybe some other physical ailment like intestinal trouble or arthritis, or kind of already mentioned this, or maybe even a speech impediment. In the two chapters pr- preceding this, Paul mentions twice that he's not eloquent of speech. Um, so, is it something physical or is it something, it, was it something mental he was bad, battling? Was it depression? Was it anxiety? Paul mentions over and over again, especially even about the Corinthians says, listen, my concern for you is great. Was he so worried about them that he got worked up and he was praying, God, help me not to be anxious. Maybe. Or was it, was it a person that was troubling him? We've already talked about the fact that false teachers were were infiltrating the church and Paul, that's one of the things Paul was addressing. So was it, was the messenger of Satan maybe indwelling or using an individual in the Corinthian church to really attack Paul? We know that was happening, but is that what he's talking about? Maybe? Or was it a sin? You know, I've often wondered, maybe it's not a physical, maybe it's not mental, whatever. Maybe it was some sin that Paul had tried to tried to conquer in his life. We've all been there, right? Something that, that he's experienced a victory in and then maybe he fell back into. And he prayed and said, God, help me overcome this. God, give me the strength for this, to, 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 to get over this. And it just kept coming back and coming back and coming back, friends. Who knows what it really was? And the reality is that Paul, through the providence of the Holy Spirit, was intentionally vague, I believe, for a reason. Paul may not even really intended this reason, but the Holy Spirit did. And you know what that is? Because Paul, by being vague, this passage appeals to so many people throughout all the ages who have various thorns in the flesh and can relate to Paul. If Paul had said, you know, this was my eyesight, my eyesight, I prayed for God to tell. No, he just said, God's given me a thorn in the flesh. And I pray that and, and so we can identify with Paul in that. Look at what Paul says next. Look at verse eight. He says, concerning this thing, again, we don't know what it is concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh. He says, I pleaded with the Lord that it might depart from me. So Paul asked God, I don't think he just flippantly asked God three times, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. No, Paul, I believe spent time begging the Lord in prayer. God, you know how this is hindering me. Maybe it was something that he thought hindered his witness. Maybe it was something he thought hindered his writing. We don't know. But Paul said, listen, three times I prayed to the Lord that it might depart for for God to to remove it. And guess what? We'll get to this in just a minute. But what did God say? God said, no. God said, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm not going to do it. Here's what we can learn from this. Very simply, friends, God does not always remove our weaknesses. God does not always heal our hurts. God does not always fix every situation we have. Sometimes God allows certain weaknesses to remain in our lives. Now, some of you might be saying, but pastor, why? Why would God do that? If, if God is able to fix and do anything, and we believe he is, amen? God is powerful enough. There's nothing that's too great for him. There's no problem he can't fix. There's no, no, no sickness he can't heal. There's nothing God can't do. We believe that he can fix and do everything, and that's one reason why we should pray. Nothing wrong with praying for God to heal whatever, but we need to realize as believers, as his children, sometimes he decides not to. We may say, doesn't he want us to be as strong as we could be? Sure he does. And that's why we lead us right into number two. All right. Look at your outline if you will. The reason I believe that God does this, and I believe he tells us to us here in this text, the reason God sometimes allows weakness and weaknesses to stay and to remain in our lives is this, friends, that he wants us to rely on him and lean on his strength. That's why he allows weaknesses in our lives, friends. Here's the bottom line. Our strength is fleeting, amen? Our strength is failing. Now, some of you young bucks don't, haven't learned that yet, okay? Oh, to be a young buck again, amen? Oh, to be in your prime, you know? When you feel like you're still on the upswing, you know? When muscles still grow easily and the rest of you doesn't. <laughs> Amen? There you go. <laughs> the bottom line is that that our bodies are failing. And I'm not just talking about physically, but we experience all sorts of other weaknesses as well. These physical bodies, the flesh is lacking. And our physical strength, our strength on this earth is temporary. Friends, it's only when we realize that, that we begin to rely on God and his strength and not our own. Amen? It's the whole reason I've entitled this series, Christ Esteem, Not Self-Esteem. Self is not where we get our strength because if we're getting our strength from ourself, guess what? You may be getting your strength there because you're still on the upswing. Guess what? ain't going to be long before it levels out and you're going to be on the downswing. All right? Some of of you are shaking your heads with me. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, And you need to learn that, okay? I want you to look at what God says to Paul after It says, Paul says that he prayed. He pleaded with God three times. God, remove this. And what does God say? In verse 9, it says, and he said to me. Let's pause there for just a minute because the tense of the verb said, it it, it kind of says it like this. And he uh, has already said to me. It's a once and for all said, okay? Not that God has to continually say this to me, but God says it, he means it, and it's done, amen? He says to me, my grace is is sufficient for you. Now, friends, God didn't give Paul an explanation. I find that interesting, right? I'm kind of maybe explaining this. God didn't even give an explanation. Paul prayed for God to remove it. God didn't even give it. God just said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. He didn't give an explanation. He didn't give Paul relief by removing his suffering. Okay, we won't really, God just give me some relief. He didn't do that. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He simply said, my grace, he said, didn't give him relief, friends. He didn't even give him the grace to endure. He gave him the grace to overcome it. He gave him the grace to rise above it. You know, the word grace is a fabulous word. It describes God's unmerited favor towards us. Amen. Um. You know, you've heard there's two words that the Bible uses that are they're very close, similarly related. Um, mercy, God's mercy, and God's grace. If I can remember this right, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Amen? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So God gave, God's mercy is poured out on the cross. Amen? When we don't get what we do deserve, and we get what we don't deserve is everything we get because of what Christ did, Nothing because of what we did. When we just respond to the gospel, guess what? We get grafted into his family. We get to become a child of God. We get to be saved and have eternal life that starts now and we live forevermore. We get heaven and all of its blessing and glory coming along with it. Amen? We get the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit right now. I could go on and on and on and on. Friends, there are so many blessings that are poured out by God's grace. You've heard the acronym, right, for grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. So wonderfully explains what grace is, friends. It is what helps us rise above our thorns. And that's simply what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. So in weakness, what is Paul to do? He is to lean on God's grace. And God says, Paul, that is enough. Look at what he says in the second part. He says, for my strength, God speaking here, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Friends, God allows us to be weak in the flesh so that we will recognize and might realize our weakness so that we will lean on him and rely on his strength because God knows that our strength fails. Look at this verse with me. Second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5 says this. It says not that we are sufficient of ourselves, amen, to think of anything as being from ourselves. I love this verse also because it says, listen, if we think that we're sufficient in and of ourselves, we shouldn't because nothing, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves. But where does our sufficiency come? From God. Our sufficiency comes from the Lord. That's where our sufficiency comes from. Uh, That's where we, all of our needs are met in the Lord, not in us. Now, friends, here's the thing about it. So you say, Pastor, if God's so powerful, God then, then why doesn't he just heal us? Why doesn't he just fix our weaknesses? Doesn't God want us to be as strong as we can be? Friends, God allows things to happen in our lives. He allows weakness to stay, stay there to draw us and drive us to him. Amen? Let me put it this way. God is more concerned about your spiritual health than he is your physical health. Let me say that again. I might even encourage you to write that one down. God is more concerned about your spiritual health than he is your physical health. We are so concerned about our physical health and preventing physical dying in any way, shape, or form we can and preventing physical illness and preventing physical weakness and all of that. We're so concerned with that, friends. But listen, it's not that God doesn't care about us and it's not that God's not going to answer prayers about that, and whatever. But God is more concerned about your spiritual health. And if it means then, if it takes him allowing us to be weak physically, or for some physical weakness to come upon us in order for us to get right spiritually, then so be it. Amen. We need to understand that, that then that's actually a better thing. Then it's worth it. It's more important for us to realize our need for Him than for us to never experience weakness in the flesh, to never have anything go wrong in our life, and then for us to think, I got this, I'm good. I can handle life. And then we think we don't really need God. That's what happens if we just have a silver spoon in our mouth all our lives. I want you to think about how this relates to our, we're talking about self-confidence, self-esteem, right? I want you to think about how this relates to our self-confidence, self-esteem, that, that idea that we need to be confident in and of ourselves and never show weakness. That's what the world tells us, right? Right? You're going to succeed. Don't show weakness. You need to be confident in yourself. I want you to listen to this. I found this, um, this article, this, this, this illustration, so, so interesting. Writing in the Harvard Business Review, Tomas Chamorro Music." don't ask me to say that again, um, is a CEO and business professor he wrote in the Harvard Business Review and had some surprising conclusions about self-confidence and leadership. do want you listen to what he says. He says, There's no bigger cliche, cliche in business psychology than the idea that high self-confidence is, is a key to success, career success. However, he says, It's time to debunk this myth. In fact, he says, The reality is that low self-confidence is more likely to make you successful than high self-confidence. Let me repeat that one more time. He says, in fact, low self-confidence is more likely to make you successful than high self-confidence. Here's what he says next. He says, after many years of researching and consulting on talent, he says, I've come to the conclusion that self-confidence is only helpful when it's low. He says, sure, extremely low self-confidence is not helpful. It inhibits performance by inducing fear, worry, and stress. But just low enough self-confidence or a lower self-confidence can actually help you in at least three ways. Listen to this a minute. I think this is very enlightening. Number one, he says lower self-confidence actually makes you pay attention to negative feedback and be self-critical, which is a, he says is a good thing. I would agree. Second, he says lower self-confidence can motivate you to work harder and prepare more. Amen, right? And third, he says lower self-confidence reduces the chances of coming across as arrogant or being full of yourself. And in the business world, that's a good thing. And of course, we as Christians would add a fourth and most important benefit for low enough self-confidence, and that is that it helps helps us put our ultimate confidence in the Lord. Amen? It helps us put our ultimate confidence in the living God. Christians can definitely agree with his conclusion. Here's how he concludes. He says this. He says, in brief, if you are serious about your goals, low self-confidence can be your biggest ally to accomplishing them. It's therefore, he says, time to debunk the myth. High self-confidence isn't a blessing and low self-confidence isn't a curse. In fact, he says it's actually the other way around. Friends, our confidence, our esteem should not be in ourself, but in the Lord. That's what will last. That's what will sustain us. And if it takes Weakness or realizing our weakness or weakness remaining in us to force us to do that, then to rely rely on God and lean on him instead of ourselves, then so be it. Amen? Weakness can become a good thing. Man, that leads us right into the third truth I want to share with you this morning. First of all, sometimes God allows certain weaknesses to remain in our lives. Second, the reason he wants to do that is so that we'll rely and lean on him Not ourselves. The third truth is this, friends. This should transform, revolutionize, change the way we look at our weaknesses. Um, Most of the time, we look at them and we we say, oh, if I just didn't have this weakness. I want you to look at how Paul's Paul's, uh, outlook on his weaknesses changed. Look at the end of verse 9, second half of verse 9. So right after Paul says he prayed for God to remove it, God says, God didn't even say no. He just says, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It says, therefore, therefore, I love that. Whenever we see the word therefore, we need to see what it is there for, right? (laughs) And what it's there for is Paul is saying because of this, because, listen, God, if your strength is made perfect in my weakness, then most gladly, he says, I will rather boast in my infirmities. The word infirmities there is just the same word as weakness up above. It's the exact same Greek word, just in plural. So he says, uh, listen, if that's the case, then I will boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The word rest is a Greek word that actually means to spread a tent or a tabernacle over. I love that picture. Um, Jason, uh, over in when we play games in Iwana, we have a big, t- a big round uh, parachute that the kids use, and some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a big, they all get around it, and, you know, we usually put balls in it and fly it up. I don't know if we've done this over there or not, but when I was a kid, we had one of these big parachutes at the Y, and I would go, and it was a, it was a huge one, and we would lift it up in the air, and then what we would do is we would then put it behind us and sit on it. Anybody do that when you were a kid? And that parachute would kind of be like a, like a tent or a dome over the top of us, but we would all be underneath the parachute. That's the picture I get here from what it says. He says, I will rather boast in my weaknesses. But why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, our weakness gives God an opportunity to display his power and for his power to rest upon us. When I am weak, then I know he is strong. Amen? Paul then in verse 10, you think, okay, so what's he going to say? He doubles down on what he just said. Verse 10, he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in weaknesses. I take pleasure in weaknesses. Now, that's going to be a little bit for us all to come to. Amen? I joy in them. I'm happy about them. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. When somebody reproaches you, don't get mad about it. Say, thank you, Jesus. It needs. When you need something, man, you know what? What? Why? Because it causes us to rely on God in persecutions, in distresses. Paul says he takes pleasure. That's a change of attitude. Amen. I take pleasure in all those things for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Friends, Paul says that this changes the way that I look at my weaknesses. Friends, and this should change the way we look at our weaknesses as well. Amen. We, we look at weaknesses and we think of them as a curse, don't we? We think of them as something that hinders us. But I want you to look back at verse 7 for just a minute. Let's go back to something I just touched on briefly at the beginning, and I want to hit on it just a little bit more now. Paul says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was what? Was given to me. So this thorn in the flesh that Paul hated and asked God to remove he now considers a gift. Paul now considers it a blessing of the Lord. Why? Because God used it to humble him, and because actually God made him stronger because he now relied on God's strength and not His own. Friends, here's, a, here's the main thing I want you to write down today. Our weaknesses are actually blessings that drive us to Christ. Our weaknesses are actually blessings that drive us to Christ. Listen, if we're only truly whole when we come to know Christ as our Savior and we surrender our heart and our life to him, then anything else is what's bad and that is what's good, amen? And if our weaknesses do that, friends, then that's a blessing. When we give our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our failures, our, 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 our whatever you want to call it, friends, uh, inadequacies over to God, then our weaknesses actually become our strength because he is our strength. Look at this verse with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, This is talking about once we're in Christ, right? You having all sufficiency for in all things may have an abundance in every good work. So as a believer, do you have everything you need? As a believer, do you have everything you need? Absolutely we do. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us an abundance for every good work. So in Christ, can you do anything that he calls you to do? Anything he wants you to do, absolutely. Look at this next verse. You know this. If you don't know this, you need to know this. Philippians four thirteen says this. I can do all things through Christ who, what? Strengthens me. So where do we get our strength? Not from ourselves, but from who? Christ, friends. That's Christ esteem. And it doesn't come from trying to puff ourselves up. It doesn't come from trying to think better about ourselves. It comes, believe it or not, through surrender to the Lord. I love this quote from Warren Wearsby. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. He says, strength that knows itself to be strength is actually weakness. And weakness that knows itself to be weakness is actually strength. Chew on that for a while. Um, N.T. Wright says this. We live in a world... Full of people struggling to be, or at least to appear to be strong in order to not be weak. And yet we follow a gospel which says that when I am weak, then I am strong. My question to you is, which one are you going to believe? The world or Christ? Friends, I would encourage you, let's let the power of Christ rest upon us so that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? Let me close with this. Eliza Morgan, president of Mops International. Remember Mops, Mothers of Preschoolers? Um, Eliza Morgan writes this. She says, I'm probably the least likely person to head a mothering organization. I grew up in a broken home. My parents were divorced when I was five, and my older sister, younger brother, and I were raised by my alcoholic mother. She says, while my mother meant well, truly she did, most of my memories are of my, my mothering her rather than her mothering me. Alcohol altered her love, turning it into something that wasn't love, she writes. She says, I remember her weaving down the hall of our ranch home in Houston, Texas with a glass of scotch in hand. Then she would wake me at 2 a.m. just to make sure I was asleep. She says, I would wake her at 7 a.m. to try to get her off to work. Sad. She says, sure, there were good times like Christmas and birthdays when she went all out and celebrated us as children, but even those days ended with the warped glow of alcohol. What she did right was lost, in all of what she did was wrong. She said, so 10 years ago, when I was asked to consider leading Mops International, a vital ministry that nurtures mothers, she said, I went straight to my knees and then to the therapist's office. She said, how could God use me who had never been mothered to nurture other mothers? The answer, she writes, came as I gazed into the eyes of other moms around me and saw their needs mirroring my own. She said, God seemed to take my deficits, my weaknesses, and make them my offering." She says the verse that is at the center of what we have read this morning rang out in her head as God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Friends, my question to you this morning is simply this What weakness or weaknesses do you have that you need to surrender to the Lord today? Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, and you've never You've never accepted Christ as your savior. You've never come to admit that you're a sinner, that you have weakness in you and that you need a savior and that savior is Jesus. The process of, of salvation, of being born again, demands for us to realize that and admit our sinfulness and our need for him and to recognize that what Jesus did on the cross is that he paid for our sin so that we wouldn't have to. And that he rose from the grave to give us new life. Friends, if you believe that and you'll trust that, you too can be saved and born again. I would invite you today to do that. But maybe many of you are here. Maybe you're watching online. You've trusted Christ as Savior. But you still have weaknesses. You still have insecurities. You still feel inadequate. And you are trying to fill that by making yourself better and trying to fill it in yourself. It doesn't work that way. we got to give it to God. I've talked to you all before about the fact that if somebody would have asked me when I was a teenager to get up in front of people and speak, I would have run the other way. In fact, I did several times. I tried to run from God in that. And so God has led me to one of the things that is my greatest weakness. And it's only because of him I'm up here. It is not because of me I can trust you. And friends, God can do the same thing in your life if you'll let him. Whatever that weakness is, would you surrender it to him today? I appeal to you to do that today. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you or if you're looking for your next steps, further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.